Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Good morning, church. Thanks for being here today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. So if you're new here, if you're a guest or if you're watching online, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. So we've been going back to the basics this year, starting in the beginning. And so if you want to open up your Bible, go to the first book, Genesis. We're in chapter 11 today. It's the first significant story after Noah and the flood. It's called the Tower of Babel. Now, the title this morning technically is Babel Undone, but... I wanted to call it A Tale of Two Cities, but Charles Dickens beat me to that title, and so I couldn't use it this morning. But that's going to gonna frame what we're doing today. We're talking about two different cities. The first significant city, Babel, and then another city. So that's where we're going this morning, A Tale of Two Cities, to set it up. This year, our big vision is my part in God's plan. That's what we're talking about all year. And so this morning... I'm going to be framing one of the big things, most significant things that God is doing, both in the past, into eternity, and what he's doing right now here in this place. And then next week, we're focused just on your part in what God's doing. So Buster's going to join me up here next week. We're rolling out this new initiative that goes with my part, God's plan, which is to help you figure out what's my part. Okay, so that's what we're doing next week, and I hope you'll come back for that. But today, we're in Genesis 11 talking about a tale of two cities. Let's go, go here to Genesis 11, verse 1. We'll start there, and let me read this to you. <clears throat> now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. Pay attention to that word common there. We'll come back to that. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a, a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if his one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. And so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth. They stopped building the city. And this is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Let's pray as we begin. <clears throat> God, I thank you for your word. I thank, I'm thankful for the way that you have moved in history. God, I'm thankful for the way you move today. The way that you are working right now among us. And the way that you are preparing us for eternity with you. God, I pray that through this word, your word, you would speak to us this morning. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Let's start with a parable. This is strictly hypothetical, but let's imagine you had three sons and you invite your neighbors, you invite your neighbors over for lunch or for barbecue. This is strictly hypothetical. This would never happen in my house. Your neighbors have a little girl. She's about eight years old. So you've cleaned all day. You went and got the, the burgers, stuff for the barbecue tonight, and they're coming over shortly. But just before they come over, your kids have what we call in the gentry home. um, Wait, this is strictly hypothetical. We don't call it anything. (laughs) But your three sons at the same time have a meltdown. Have any other parents ever used that word, a meltdown? Now, the thing about the meltdown is that as soon as that switch flips, you know, as soon as it happens, there's no like, you know, having a rational conversation with them or talking them off the ledge. You try, but you realize it's not getting anywhere. The kids are about to kill each other. They're just going at each other's throats. They're screaming and crying and telling on each other. They're just having a big meltdown. So I know the neighbors are about to come over. And so I say to the three boys, go to your room, each of them. And so they each go to a different place in the house, a different room, and they sit there and they're mad about being there and they're screaming and hollering out at me. And about that time, the doorbell rings. So I go to the doorbell and I open it and this little eight-year-old girl and her parents walk in and they hear the three boys screaming and hollering. They ask where they're at and I say, well, they're in their rooms, okay. And so the girl looks at me with this just look of horror. Like, you are so cruel. How could you do this? And the parents look at me and wink, right? They get it, they understand. Like their perspective on that is totally different from her perspective. Are you with me? Okay. In some ways, that difference between the the way that those two people would read the same story applies to this one right here because, you know, I think the young girl or the daughter would look at a story like the story of Babel and think what initially a lot of us think, which is, why is God so mean? And does God not like teamwork? Doesn't he know together everyone achieves more? Doesn't he know that? Like, why, why, is God, why is God opposed to this? Why does he come down and here they are just trying to do this great thing, build a tower, and he messes up their languages and scatters them all over? That was mean of him. That's how she reads the story. And think about, for a second, think about it, how significant a hurdle it is that in this world we speak different languages. I mean, something like 6,500 different languages spoken on earth. Think about how significant a hurdle that is to human understanding, to cooperation with other people. A couple of years ago, I took a trip with some of our leaders from Highland to China, okay? And we were there in China looking around and Sam Liao, one of our uh, elders was there with us and Sam speaks Mandarin. So it was really good to have Sam with us. And so everywhere we went, we were there for like a week and a half in China, everywhere we went to eat dinner, Okay, these Chinese restaurants, they would bring us to eat chopsticks to use, all right? Now, here's the thing, I can't use chopsticks. I'm, I'm hopeless, I tried for a week and a half to learn and I could never learn. So I'd sit there and I was starving and I couldn't get any of it. Like, how do you eat rice with chopsticks, you know? So I'm starving the whole time and so I'd have to ask Sam to ask the waiter to get me a fork. And inevitably, this is what would happen. Sam would say something to the waiter and the waiter would look at me and point. He'd, he'd wave his hands a lot, you know, no. And then Sam would say something and he'd kind of laugh like this. And, and then finally he'd go off and bring me back a fork. And I'd ask Sam, I'd say, what were y'all talking about? And he'd say, you don't want to know. 
I'd say, no, I want to know. And he'd say, well, he was, he was making fun of you because you can't use chopsticks. And there'd be a silence. I'd say, Sam, were you also making fun of me? <laughs> a little, you know, he'd say. <clears throat> Our differences in language and culture and backgrounds, those things do make it really hard for us to understand one another, to communicate with each other, to just be together. And so you read this story and you, you see that God has a hand in that, you know, that the origins of the differences that I had with that waiter in that restaurant all these years later, that the origins are right here, that God has a hand in, in mixing up everybody's languages and making it hard for us to be together today. And so we kind of look at that and we think, man, it's kind of mean. You didn't have to do that. Why don't you like humans being together? All right, for the record, that's a bad reading of the story. Okay, it's something like the difference in perspective that that daughter has and my, and my neighbors have when they look at the same story. I, that's a bad perspective on the story. And we know that because of the second city. I told you this is a tale of two cities. We're going to go to the second city in a second. But let me stick here with the first city for another minute here. How do we understand the story of Babel the right way? Well, what I want you to remember, and we talked about this, in Genesis 1, and then again in Genesis 9, after the flood, humans are given an instruction. The instruction's really simple. I want you to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. That's what God tells Noah after the flood. It's what he told Adam and Eve back at the beginning. He says, sorry, then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. That's Genesis 9, 1. The idea is that God's goodness, remember, he created the world that's good. His creation's good. God's goodness is going to spread. It's going to saturate all of creation and so that badness or evil has no place to call its own. That's the vision. God's goodness is going to go everywhere with the humans. They're going to take it everywhere they go. And so that frames the story of Babel in a different light. You know, this, this is not a story of, of humans coming together altruistically. You know, we're going to join together. We're going to band together. There's no I in team. Let's do this great thing. Like, this is not a story of a middle school football team overcoming the odds. Right? This is different. This is a story of people who decide to rebel against what God has told them. Okay. And we know they know they're doing it. Look at this verse. This is 11.4. Let's do this, otherwise we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now pay attention here. This may be the most important line this morning. They think it would be bad for them to do what God has told them. They think it would be bad for them to do what God has told them. So what, what in us leads us to view the world that way. Sin. In this case, it's pride, what C.S. Lewis called the great sin, the sin from which all other sins come. So we know this story is about pride. Look at this in verse four. Come, let us, this is all about what we can do, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. Why? so that we may make a name for ourselves. This is human pride 
101. Like it's the first great story on the way that pride and sin destroys the best human desires. You know, you, you get a bunch of humans together who've got sin and pride inside of them and, and, and things don't improve when they come together. They come together and they kind of like combine forces. That sin and pride just starts to bleed together and work together and they come up with this idea, let's build a great tower and it seems like a great idea, like nothing wrong with that idea, but what we see is that sin is gonna distort any good intention that we have and make it bad and ruin it. So as you're thinking about this first city, and you're thinking about the world that you live in today, one way to think about the story of Babel is that this is the first great secular city. It's this city that promises greatness, even has a veneer of spirituality, I'll talk about that in a second, even has a veneer of spirituality, but is crippled by the fact that its leaders are consumed with sin and pride. So it promises great things. Like I said, it has this veneer of spirituality. So what we know about the Tower of Babel, we have a pretty good idea of what this tower actually looked like. Back in the ancient world, these kind of towers were common. They're called ziggurats. It was a kind of temple. Okay, it was a kind of temple. So this is a world that has a veneer of spirituality, and yet it's based on the rejection of God, rebellion of God's instructions, and the elevation of humans to great positions of power. And so that changes the way we read the story. Changes the way we read the story. Um, I've never read the book A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, and I'm gonna be honest, it's not on my short list, but a book that I have read, and maybe you've read it, Lord of the Flies. Has anybody read Lord of the Flies before? Did you have to read that in eighth grade English class? Yeah, back there. <clears throat> so Lord of the Flies was written by this guy named William Golding, and it's a story about a bunch of boys stranded on an island together. And so what you may not know about that book was that it was written in a time when that was a really common theme in literature, kids stranded on an island together. And so William Golding reads a bunch of books about kids stranded on an island together. And in all of those books, the kids have the best time on the island together. They're playing with elephants and with monkeys and they're drinking from coconuts the whole time. It's just a wonderful idyllic paradise. And William Golding told his wife, I'm gonna write a book about what would happen if kids were actually stranded on an island together. <laughs> and in that book, it starts off really good. You know, civilized, they've got rules and culture, but pretty soon it just devolves. These boys start to go to war with each other. There's anarchy, even murder. And the book ends with the island burning, whole island burning. And Golding said, that's what happens when people come together. <laughs> Why? Because of what's inside them. That sin that's inside them that's left untreated, they come together and it seems like it's good that they're working together and they're gonna be a good team. But inevitably, if that sin inside is not treated, what they do together will come to ruin. All right, and so that, you know, go back to the parable I started with, the hypothetical one that would never happen in my house. Okay. <clears throat> one way to view that is punishment, that time out of the boys is punishment. The other way to view it is prevention. Like, while they're melting down, I'm gonna separate them so that not everything is possible for them <laughs> in this moment when they're like that, okay. All right, so this is why God intervenes in the first city, I think. I think he says, look at this. If as one people speaking the same language, is verse six, 
they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will understand one another. Again, we're tempted to see this as punishment, but what if this is prevention? You know, what if God, in scattering and confusing the languages of the world, has stopped some great evils? You know, the greatest evils in the history of the world have been based on one people group doing terrible things to others by uniting in their power. You know, what evil has God prevented by intervening here? He intervenes so that our worst potential is impossible. And the point then is not that our differences, our language, and our culture make being together as humans hard. It's that our sin, our human sin, our pride, the stuff inside us is what makes it difficult for us to be together. So it's not dad who sends everyone to time out who makes it hard for us to be together. It's because you're melting down that you can't be together right now. Are you with me? You understand that? All right, but I told you this is a tale of two cities. So this is where it takes a positive turn. I want you to leave Genesis 11 and go to Acts chapter two. Now, if you're online, if you're a guest, you don't know where Acts is, it's way later in the Bible. It's in what we call the New Testament, okay? And I want you to go there. This is after Jesus, after Jesus has lived, died and been resurrected and ascended into heaven and his disciples come together. This is the beginning of Babel being undone. His disciples come together and they're waiting for what's gonna happen next. And this is a vision of this second city. All right, the first city's Babel. Here's the beginning of the second one. Let's look at this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these people who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of, them hears, each of us hears them in our native language? Now, he's going to list a bunch of cities or areas of the world. Genesis 10 is the genealogy that describes what happens after Genesis 11 as the world spreads apart. All of these cities are the cities listed. Look at this. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Okay. What do we learn from the second city? God clearly wants us to be together if our gathering is about him. If our gathering is about him, that's a gathering that he's gonna bless with his power so that what? His wonders might be declared. 
And so in this second city, what God does, I mean, to a T, even the very regions of the world and people groups listed in Genesis 11, he brings all those people back together and he starts to overcome the barriers that have been dividing them, including the barrier of language, the one that makes it hard for us to understand one another. He begins to overcome that so that in this gathering, the early church, his wonders might be declared and he might receive glory. But what about that sin problem? You know, if God separates us because in the middle of our meltdown or in the middle of our sin, it's not good for us to be together, why is God not worried about this group of people coming together? And the point is that in this group, that inside the body of Christ, that sin thing that was not getting treated at Babel is being treated. Look at this. Peter goes on to say later in the same chapter, Peter replied, verse 8, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins so that Jesus will get in there and start to work on that, the thing that makes it so hard for you to be together. And he goes on and says, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, so power, and the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And he says this, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. It's an image of Babel, corrupt, ruined. So far from being concerned or worried about people coming together, in this story, God is sending people to this gathering. He's filling this gathering with his power because he's taking care of the sin issue, the thing inside us that actually makes it hard for us to be together. He says, I'm going to handle that. So you can come together now. I'm going to fill you with power so that you can do great things for my glory. And I'm going to deal with the thing that actually keeps you apart. Okay, and so this is, starting here in Acts 2, the vision of this city that everyone who comes after Babel is actually longing for. A city not where humans are elevated and raised up high, but a city where God is. What we read about Abraham was that he was longing for that city whose architect and builder is God. You remember that? Hebrews 11. It's not let us build a city for ourselves so that our name might be celebrated. It's that vision of a city that God is building and that we get to be part of. And what we see in Acts 2, this is 44, that in this city, what comes to be known as the church, all the believers were together and have everything in, you remember the word, common. Remember that? You know, it's Babel completely reversed and undone. What that means is that what's good for God, a gathering where he is glorified, a gathering where he fills it with his power is also good for us because God is treating in this gathering the thing that keeps humans apart, sin. The thing that actually makes it hard for us to be with one another and understand one another. Because that's getting treated here, it's possible in the body of Christ for very different people to be together. For about five years, I led a class here called Race on the Cross, starting in 2014. And it was a class, and there's things I would do differently about the class now. In fact, I'm considering how we could revamp it. But, but it was a class in which we would bring together people from different cultures, races, ethnicities, backgrounds. We put them on the same room, and then we'd talk to each other. And inevitably, the class would start with some difficulty in understanding. 
right? Some difficulty understanding where somebody else was coming from. But every time, at some point in that class, and we did it for five years, at some point in that class, there would be this moment where everybody got it, and where they actually understood somebody who was really different from them. And in that moment, I mean, and there'd be tears, crying, and hugs, one of the most beautiful things I've seen in 10 years of ministry here. You know, that moment when you get it from somebody who's really different. I think about some of our elders who are leading a group right now that's uh, of members here from different backgrounds who listen to each other every second Tuesday. Why do they do that? Because it's possible in the body of Christ to get here what the world's not providing or offering. You know, the world talks about unity and diversity, and that's a great tagline, and I'm all for it. The world just can't give it, it seems like. The world keeps promising it, these great secular cities with the veneer of spirituality come here and be united to a bunch of people who are really different, and all those things seem to fall apart. Why? Because the thing inside that actually makes it hard for us to be together never gets treated. Right? We just pretend that doesn't exist, and we can overcome it by good teamwork. Okay. Why do I care about the church? Okay, because what's possible here is not possible anywhere else. That this is a vision of a city that will last forever, that the gates of hell will not overcome, and that will be a place where a lot of different people can actually understand each other. And what we know from Scripture is that when the church lives into that, the world finds it deeply compelling and wants to be part of it. You know, you read the rest of Pentecost and thousands came into the church that day because it was the first time they had seen a bunch of different people understanding each other. Look at that. Don't you want to be a part of that? Let me, let me show you this as we end, a tale of two cities. This is the beginning of the second city that you and I are living in right now that we're experiencing right here this morning. But that city will be final, you know, finished, developed. It's under construction right now. It's going to be finished in eternity. And this is what that city is going to look like. Let me show you. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. All the people scattered at Babel from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes. They were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice. So together, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. No sign of Babel. No confusion. No misunderstanding. Just unity. Hmm. We're gonna take communion together now, and here's, here's what I wanna remind you as we do that. The difference between Babel and Pentecost, other than centuries, the difference is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power that has been unleashed on his people by that moment. In Ephesians 2, we read that the blood of Christ brings people who are very different together. And so as we take this meal, 
we know that what has made this second city, that we're just tasting in this moment, what has made it possible is the death of this man for us. Remember that with me now as we pray. God, we desire to live in that second city, that great and eternal city that will last forever where every tongue and nation and tribe is gathered together shouting in unison and harmony that salvation belongs to you alone. God, may we live in that city now. May this church be a witness to our community of a church where people actually understand one another, even when they're different. God, we know that that is not possible because we will it to be, that we use our strength or knowledge or intuition to accomplish it, that we work together hard as a team. God, we know that is only possible by the power of your spirit and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you make that true here evermore? And we remember that as we remember the death of your son Jesus for our sakes, who by his blood has brought those who are far together. And we pray in his name, amen.